This morning's text is Acts, so we're continuing to study in the book of Acts. We're in Acts 4, uh, 23 through 31 is the passage this morning. If you were here last weekend, um, then this really is the continuation of the story that Russ preached on last weekend. So some of this morning will be uh, a repeat of last weekend, and that's fine. I think sometimes it's important that we are reminded of things, that we hear a, a thematic message or something several weeks in a row. That can be good for us. So this morning might be a little bit of a repeat of last week, um, taken with maybe a different lens uh, to a degree. But, um, but if that's the case, let's, let's see this as a reminder, as a continued reminder this morning of what God is trying to teach us uh, specifically in chapter 4 of Acts. Let's begin by reading. So if you want to, you can turn to Acts 4, 23-31, and this is what it says. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Lord, our desire this morning is to be a people that are transformed by your word, to be a community that, uh, to be a community that has their hearts and their eyes opened to the power that's in your scripture. God, as we read uh, these verses, as, as we speak and, and meditate on this passage, God, may you bring it to life in a new way. May you convict us where we need to be convicted. May you move through this and may your spirit do a, a work in our lives here this morning and in our community here this morning. God, we thank you that we can study this together, that we can study it in community, and we pray again, Lord, that... Uh, that you would be present in this process. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So boldness emerges in this passage, and it was spoken to in the, in the earlier uh, section of this same story. But boldness is this word that emerges a couple of different times. In the dictionary, this is what boldness uh, is defined as. Confident as to suggest a lack of shame or modesty. Confident as to suggest a lack of shame or or modesty. So uh, some of you may know this about me, some of you may not, but um, I, outside of my job here at the church, um, I am a personal trainer at a CrossFit gym. And uh, this is a, a thing that I love to do. I, I find a ton of enjoyment at it. And one of my favorite things is when new people come in and, and try CrossFit for the first time. A couple of years ago, I was uh, working well, one early morning 
And a young guy, probably 18 or 19 years old, in decent shape. Uh, just, you know, if you were to look at him, you would see, okay, he's kind of thick-chested and just kind of a, a big dude. Came in, and, and he uh, was, was real nice and humble and was uh, gracious about coming in and, and wanting to try a workout. And there was one other gal in the same class, um, and she had been pretty con- a pretty consistent member for maybe six to eight months before. Her name is Sarah. Uh, so I had known Sarah uh, pretty well. And uh, so it was just the two of them, and, and we begin to run this class, and I start talking to this guy, and he's telling me all about how he's getting ready to leave for boot camp, and he, that he's been working out really consistently, and uh, probably is in the best shape of his life he's talking about, and, and how um, excited he is about this new venture, and this, he was like, this is probably, honestly, my last workout before I, I'm going to, um, you know, I got to go and visit some family in Seattle, and then I'm, I'm headed out. Great, great, that's awesome, and, so I'm talking to this guy, and I say, you know, here, here's kind of the deal. What we usually do is for new people, if you've never tried, we do what we call the newbie workout. And uh, it's a great workout, and it's, um, I, I was hesitant to use the word scaled. I just said it's a good workout, and uh, I think you'll be really challenged by it. But it's a really good introduction into what CrossFit is. And so I kind of wrote it up on this board for him, and he looked at it, and he was kind of looking at that. And then he looked at the other workout that Sarah was going to do, the one that was for that day. And, and he was kind of looking at Sarah, and he's like, well... I'm pretty confident that I could do this other workout right here that Sarah's going to do. And, and I said, well, you know, I, I'm sure that you can, but I just want to make sure that you don't go to boot camp, you don't leave, and you're really sore. And so why don't you just do this one? He said, here, okay, okay, I'll do it. And so he kind of gave in, and then we were warming up, and, and he came probably three or four minutes uh, later. He kind of pulled me aside, and he said, I, I really, I, don't, I think I'm kind of beyond the newbie workout, to be really honest. I'm in great shape. <laughs> I don't mean this, you know, like as a personal affront to you, but I just, I think I should do the other workout. I said, okay, man, that's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. So, so I get them all kind of geared up, and it's uh, rowing. It's, uh, part of the workout is a 2,000-meter is row. So it's like a seven to eight minutes on a rowing machine, and then they do a bunch of these uh, wall balls. You guys, many of you don't have any idea what this stuff is, but uh, <laughs> it's essentially taking a 20-pound ball and throwing it against the wall and then squatting with it, and it's 100 of those. Uh, so it's a pretty, it's a big volume workout. Sarah's geared up, she's ready to go, and this guy gets on the rower and they start going. And he is rowing at the most furious pace I have ever seen. <laughs> he, was, he was on target for a world record in the first 20 seconds. It was remarkable. And, he ke- and soon enough, like his form and the mechanics of his body just start shutting down in front of him. And Sarah gets off the rower right at about eight minutes, eight and a half minutes. And this dude is about at 700 meters at this point. I, he, he, uh, I'm sorry, 1,700 meters. So he's got about 300 meters left. And he is dying at this point. He gets off at about a minute after Sarah does. And his legs are all kind of wobbly. And he walks up to the wall. And his eyes are, I mean, they're the size of saucers at this point. And he grabs this wall ball and he throws it against the wall and it comes back and hits him in the hand and, and it takes him all the way to the floor. <laughs> and he kind of staggers back to his feet and he's just, oh, he's just drenched with sweat. Meanwhile, Sarah's like 20 wall balls into her set, just super efficient. This guy kind of stands up and he looks at me and he goes, I should have done the newbie workout. <laughs> what I loved about this guy was one super nice kid, really humble but I also loved his boldness. Like, he came in, and he was kind of, kind of brash and just bold and was like, no, I really should do the kind of the big boy workout. And got him into a little bit of trouble that day. Um, but I, I, loved, I loved that idea of just boldness, just being confident. 
Not a lot of shame, not a lot of modesty, just saying, no, I, I can do this. I, I'm sure I can do it. And, and obviously, it got him into a little bit of trouble. But, but that boldness, I just remember that, that kind of spirit about him and, and how much I love that. Think this morning on a time when you have been bold. Think this morning on a time when you have been bold. Maybe, maybe a recent time where you had to be bold in something. Maybe it was sitting down with a boss and asking for a raise. You have to be bold in that moment. Or maybe it's asking someone out on a date where you kind of put yourself out there, step into this idea of, okay, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to go for this. Maybe it's with a friend where you have to call somebody out on an, on an issue or a situation or a way that they're handling themselves where you have to kind of gear up, overcome some fear, and be bold. Not with a lot of modesty, but just speak the truth. So think of a situation where you've been bold. And each of those, in, in the situation with this guy that, that came in for the workout, and, and the ones that you guys are beginning to think of in your brain, there's this idea of confidence that overcomes fear. Confidence that overcomes fear. The passage this morning, that Acts passage 23 through 31, is really about boldness. Boldness in declaring the gospel. That was their prayer request. Give us boldness as we speak the message they pray. Let me give you the backstory to what's going on here. Peter and John had been imprisoned, and so they promptly come back to the community to communicate all that the Lord had done in this time. And upon hearing it, the community, the first thing that they do is they say, let's go to prayer. Let's pray together. And they begin by reciting that beautiful psalm of David from, uh, from Psalm 2. And the community, as they're praying, the prayer really begins theologically exclaiming the sovereignty of God, exclaiming that his plan, his sovereignty, his purposes are over all things, even guiding Pontius Pilate, guiding Herod. So it's really this theological explanation of who God is, the power that God has. It's a cool passage to see an undeniable trust that this first community of Christ followers had in God. They had a remarkable confidence in the rightness of his plan, even when maybe it didn't seem that right at the moment. But then the prayer kind of shifts and continues to really culminate in this request for a continued boldness in declaring the message. Interesting that right after being released from prison, from being persecuted, their single request is for more boldness. That is their request. I mean, how easy would it have been to pray for revenge? That the Sanhedrin, that the, the, the chief priests would have got what's coming to them. Or maybe to pray for justice to be done in the situation. God, may justice be done. Or even to pray for removal from the persecution. Lord, may we not be persecuted anymore. Make our path straight. Remove the persecution from our lives. Those things would have been really easy things to pray in that moment. And I wonder, makes me wonder personally, and, and, and maybe all of us as we sit here, is where does our prayer life go in these situations? When we're experiencing persecution, when we are in trial, in tribulation, where does our prayer life go? Do we begin to pray for revenge? Do we begin to pray for things to be made right? Do we pray that God would grant us comfort in the midst of trial. You see, that's not how that first community prayed in that moment. 
They prayed for boldness. Continued boldness in the message that they were declaring. How often have you found yourself praying for boldness? Is that a common prayer for you? Is that a common prayer for me? You see, that early church, Peter and and, and John, were absolutely sold out for Jesus Christ. This Christian faith, this new uh, idea of the Christian witness wasn't something that they had figured out how to just incorporate into their already established life. It wasn't just a new belief system that was helping to influence their decisions. It wasn't just a set of principles that they were trying to follow. It was radical and holistic life transformation. Everything had changed. Everything had changed. They had sacrificed the entirety of their life for their Christian witness. They were willing to lay it all down for this guy named Jesus Christ. Their faith was not a soft and convenient religious system that affected only their individual moral choices. It wasn't just something that they quietly practiced in the privacy of their own homes, in the privacy of their own communities. You see, the early church knew that following Christ meant that they would have to stand up against the systems of the world. It knew that their message was now a radical message. They knew that it demanded obedience, that it demanded sacrifice. They knew that by attaching their name to the name of Jesus Christ, they immediately became a counter-cultural movement. And because of that, their faith put them in opposition to the religious and political systems of that day. In short, to be a Christian in this time meant living a bold life. It was really the only option. There was no way to do it quietly. There was no way to do it secretly. To be a Christian in this time meant to live boldly. So I think the fact that the disciples continue to pray for boldness this early community gathering together right after Peter and John had been imprisoned and they pray for more boldness over and above and instead of all these other prayers that they could have had, it really indicates their true focus, the truest desires of their heart. Nothing could curb their desire to preach Christ and Him crucified. Nothing. That is what they wanted They had a singular focus, a unified mission, and the discipline to live it out faithfully. This early church sets a pretty pretty remarkable path for us to follow. How much they were sold out. How much they had vested. How much they had given their entirety, the entirety of their lives, for this message, for this idea, for this person, Jesus Christ. In studying this passage in the last uh, week and a half, two weeks, I've been reminded that the things in my life that I am most bold about tend to be the things that I believe most deeply. Where my boldness emerges is where my convictions truly lie. The boldness I display is often correlated to the things that I hold most dear in my life. You see, we tend to be bold about the things that we're passionate about. We tend to be bold with the things that we believe are undeniably true, undeniably right. Our boldness as individuals is often associated with the deepest desires of our lives. 
brings me back to that question, where is this place for you? Where, where is boldness in your life? Where is boldness in my life? Is it in the political party that you side with? Is that where you're most bold? Is it with the social justice issue that you take as your goal, as what you're striving for? Maybe it's in the newest fad that you think everybody should try, that that is what you want to talk about. That is what you want to spend your life inviting people into. Where is boldness? And where is the gospel in that for you? Is the gospel that thing, that thing that you were bold about, that you've hung your entire life upon? Because if we're bold in these other things, then we have to be willing to ask ourselves, well, am I that bold with the gospel message? We have to be willing to wrestle with that idea. Paul says this in Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The book of Romans is Paul's kind of theological uh, attempt or treatise on explaining the gospel. And in the very beginning of that book, he says, I am not ashamed of this message. I am bold with this message. He exclaims that he is willing to preach to all people. Paul really embodies this idea of boldness. Paul lived an incredibly bold life, and he preached an incredibly bold message. Read through the New Testament letters. Read about his life, and you will see an incredibly bold man in what he taught about in the way he very, in the very way he lived his life. If I were to be really honest and transparent up here, Maybe some of you feel this way as well. I would say there are times that I am not bold with the gospel message. There have been times when I choose not to share just because I don't want to shake up the relationship that I have with somebody. Maybe they won't hear it appropriately or or maybe it's not the right time for them and, and I begin to kind of waffle on, well, should I share this gospel message or maybe it's just not the right time. I really like our friendship. I don't want to change anything with that. There have also been times where I've convinced myself just to let my actions speak instead of vocally declaring the gospel. Now, I'm all for letting your actions speak, but we also need to be a people that vocally declare the gospel, right? But I've duped myself into thinking, well, I'll just live out the gospel, I'll act out the gospel, and then I don't necessarily have to use words. We have to use words. That's part of the deal. There are times when I let inconvenience or insecurity or the potentiality of persecution dictate my gospel boldness. How many times have we found ourselves in a situation where you, you feel that prompting, like maybe this is the time I should begin to speak the gospel, to preach the gospel to this person, but you have a meeting that you have to go to or you have to get home to be with your family or you have to mow the lawn or whatever those things are that we begin to think, well, it's just not the right time, I got this other thing, and we begin to let inconvenience dictate our gospel message, or maybe insecurity of what if I don't say the right words? 
What if my theology, what if I don't know theology enough? Or maybe you're fearful of persecution of, well, what if this person hears this wrong and, and they fire me from my job? Too often we allow those fears, the inconveniences, the insecurities dictate the message that we are supposed to preach. It dictates how bold we are. Similarly, there are times when I don't live a bold gospel message because, frankly, I'm pretty comfortable in my life. I like the life that I have. I like the house that my wife and I live in. I love being here in Spokane. I like having two cars because it's super convenient. Sometimes I'm unwilling to take those steps out into a bold gospel life because I like the life I have. And I know that engaging that and moving towards the gospel, I might have to sacrifice. I might be called into an uncomfortable situation. I'm fearful of that. Maybe some of you can identify with that. That fear of, I don't really want to shake things up right now because I've got really good stuff going on. I don't want to leave my job to pursue vocational ministry because I get paid really, really well over here. Or I don't want to move into the mission field because I really like my community now. We have to be willing to evaluate those things and to ask God in, to ask the Spirit in and say, Lord, convict me and move me towards boldness in these ways. So we might ask, well, what does living a bold life look like? And when I ask, that self or ask myself that question, a, a famous quote from Bonhoeffer comes to mind, and this is what he says. We are not to simply bandage the wounds of the victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. We are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. I think this quote speaks to this idea of living an incredibly bold life. You see, it's one thing to pray for the poor, the sick, and the oppressed, but an entirely different thing to go into the places where those people are and preach the gospel message. It's one thing to care for the poor, the sick, and the oppressed, but an entirely different thing to stand against the very systems that put them there. That is living a bold life. That is speaking a bold message. There are many things that I'm bold about in my life. You might feel like there are many things that you are bold about in your life. Is the gospel one of them? Because it's not just enough to think theologically on these things. We also have to speak the gospel message. We also have to live a gospel life. That means we as individuals have to be bold. That means we as a community have to be bold. If you can identify with this, if you've ever found yourself thinking these very same things, acting in these same ways then I would challenge you, and I'm challenging myself, that today is the day that we change. We've heard the message. We believe the message is in the inspired word of God. Let's take it to heart and let us change today. Start praying like that first Christian community. Start acting like Peter and John. Start believing like Paul. Start preaching like Paul, living a bold life that the early church, that these early Christians 
set before us. To conclude today, I want to just think about the last verse or two of the passage, because that really is a beautiful conclusion to this whole passage. It says that after the community prayed for the boldness, the house that they were meeting in was shaken. The community was filled with the Spirit, and that they were given the strength to speak with with boldness. God will show up when we ask. That is all the conclusion we need to hear. God will show up when we ask. We need to both remember and expect that God answers prayers. So if you're convicted this morning of a lack of boldness, then pray expecting that you will become more bold because God will meet you there. God will give you the opportunities. All we have to do is step in to them. Let me finish by reading this quote. Let's uh, all stand together as we read this. Living in a multicultural world, the disciples daily could have remained silent about their dramatic encounter with God and Jesus Christ. In a world of many religions, they might understandably have been timid about even mentioning their faith in Jesus Christ. In a time when allegiance to the official religion was often demanded, they would have found it so much simpler to go along with the crowd. In a time when advocacy of any new religion was dangerous, they would have been so much safer to hide any evidence of faith in Jesus Christ. However, these very risks and dangers that could have sent the disciples turning, in fact, prompted them to pray for boldness to declare the gospel. They did not ask for security relief from persecution, or the demise of the opposition. They asked for boldness to declare the gospel. They were not longing for their own safety. They were longing for faithfulness. As soon as their prayer subsided, the place where they gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Their prayers were instantly answered. How often has the Christian community of which you are a member prayed for boldness to declare the gospel? Probably not very often since we don't place great value on boldness in declaring the gospel. But what if we did? What difference would it make in our lives? What difference would it make in our congregations? What difference would it make in the communities in which we live? The early disciples found that praying for boldness gave them wisdom and faith, and the power to live faithful faithful and effective lives. What are we praying for today? Would you pray with me?